Welcome to another Textination interview. I'm Fred Fishkin, and joining us is quantum physicist by day, father by night. I'm stealing those lines, and <laughs> author of so many books for kids and grown-ups, Chris Ferry. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me, Fred. In addition to all of that, you're also an associate professor at the University of Technology, Sydney, and that means Sydney, Australia. So good day, if I'm saying <laughs> that right. Yeah, you might tell from my accent that um, I'm not originally Australian, but yeah, I can appreciate good day. <laughs> well, tell me about the approach you take. If people have not seen your books, and there are dozens, I think more than 50 at this point, and you take a very unusual approach to introducing kids, young kids, to topics that grownups may say, wow, you're going to give that book to a child based on talking about quantum physics for babies. Tell me about your approach here. Well, I, I guess there's a few ways to think about it. Uh, one is uh, when I originally started, I wanted to write a science book for my own children, but I didn't know what topic to choose. And so I chose my area of research, which was quantum physics. Uh, and it kind of spun out from there. Uh, but as, as, as I was doing it, I thought, you know, what are the reasons that this doesn't exist? And I think one of the reasons is that people are, are afraid of these topics. They think it's too complicated for them. And if it's too complicated for them, then they're definitely not going to take the responsibility of, of having to teach it to their own kids. So what I wanted to do was bring what seems like the most complicated and esoteric topics in, in science, uh, and well, in all areas of, of human intellectual endeavors and, you know, just show that these, these aren't so difficult. Yeah. They're couched sometimes in jargon and, and you know, in words that, are, that the gatekeepers like to <laughs> like to use, but, but really the concepts can be phrased in a simple way that, you know, even, even children can understand. And while they're labeled, many of the books are at least uh, for babies, we're really talking about you know, I think probably a couple of years old up to seven, eight, nine, maybe beyond even with some of these. Yeah, I mean, it's a picture book. So I think you can read any any book with words and pictures to, you know, to newborns. Um, you know, they just want to hear their parents or grandparents voice and, you know, look at things. So, uh, of course, the, the, ba the babies don't know, right? You show them a book with quantum physics. It's not like they know that that's supposed to be complicated. They just want someone to read them a book with enthusiasm. So uh, yeah, a baby obviously isn't going to understand, you know, the concepts in the book, but you know, they, a baby also isn't going to understand shapes and colors and things either. Right. So I, I think any, anywhere where you read a book to children, you can, you can read these books as well. And I suppose what, one of the things that it does is take, uh, and sort of alluded to this, some of the mystery out of these words and, and phrases here, like talking about quarks and, and so many other things here. It's another title, general relativity for babies, um, electromagnetism, blockchain for babies. Tell me, <laughs> tell me, I don't know much about a lot of these things for sure. So tell me about the, what, what you want families and children to get out of these books? 
I think the first thing I want, and if I get this, I'll 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 be happy, is that people who would otherwise shield their kids from these topics because they themselves think that it's too complicated. So let me give you an example. There, there was a, a situation I remember picking my kids up from school uh, and one of the other parents was, you know, consoling their kid who, who didn't do well on a math quiz or math game that they played. And the, I could see on the parent's face actually a sigh of relief that their child wasn't a math person in their mind. And that was a good thing because they themselves can, you know, consider themselves not a math person. They, you know, they would say they hated math in school. So now they don't have to worry about (laughs) this child being interested in math and bringing up this topic of math all the time. And that, you know, as a mathematician (laughs) broke my heart, obviously. Um, And yeah, it's a sort of, these are the sort of situations that I want to avoid. I want parents who maybe, you know, didn't get the best education and and are somewhat traumatized by their education in math and science to be reminded that, you know, that that, that was just a, a fluke and an accident, unfortunately, that happened to them. And it didn't, you know, it didn't have to be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way for their own kids. That's interesting, because uh, I guess it's a comfort level. And it's a, it's a great story about the, the parent being uh, afraid of having to deal with maybe, or trying to explain math problems to, to their child. But, uh, today, today there's so much help online too. We can all turn to, I suppose as, as well. Right. So if we take a look at the, these, these titles, and as you mentioned, there, there are dozens in all, how do you decide what you're going to write about next? When I started, I wrote about the things that I was interested in, you know, my areas of expertise, which, you know, for math and physics. Um, and then uh, I got, I was, I initially started as, as a self-published author. So I published them myself. Uh, and then I got connected with a publisher and, you know, they have a huge team of, of marketing experts. And, um, and so they can gauge the market to see what, what people want and what people are interested in. And so they can see through the data that they collect that maybe electromagnetism isn't so popular, but blockchain is popular. And you'll notice that the, you know, the books that aren't in my area of expertise, I typically co-author with, with another expert. So many of the books now are co-authored because, um, you know, through conversations with the publisher, we decided that that would be a good topic to add to the series. And either I knew an expert or they sought out an expert or an expert approached them. Uh, and then we, we get together and, and write, write the book together. And you did partner with one book that's not in the uh, for babies category. You have one called Prank Lab, 25 Hilarious Scientific Practical mm-hmm. Jokes for Kids. I imagine that could be popular in a certain age group. Yeah, that one's a bit dangerous. Uh, uh, a, a few science teacher friends of mine, um, we got together and, um, you know, we're kind of, you know, you know, joke around with each other a lot. And, um, you know, they know what's engaging for, for children because as, as teachers themselves. And, and I thought, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, 
a lot of popular things on say social media and TikTok are these, you know, short, you know, explosive science videos and, uh, and pranks and things. And um, I think, especially for science, it gives a, a, not a great impression of what science is. So if a scientist goes on, you know, some morning show, they're going to do the elephant toothpaste uh, experiment where things just explode and uh, the host gets all excited. And, you know, that gives a really, really um, uh, incorrect view of what, what science is. So we thought, let's take these things that kids are interested in and, you know, kids are interested in jokes and pranks and things and really explain, you know, the scientific concepts behind them and how you can, you know, how, how you go about figuring out wh why that works uh, as a good prank and how you could modify it yourself or create your own, your own pranks based on those concepts of science. That's interesting. Do you have any particular favorite pranks from the book that uh, <laughs> you can recommend? Um, there's, there's some really, really simple ones. Um, there's a lot of things you can do if you can get your hands on uh, a strong magnet. Um, I'm not sure like locally where, where you can find them, you know, there's like science shops around here. Of course you can always order them online, but you want the rare earth magnets. They're the really strong ones. I mean, probably most people have, have seen them. If you get a, a really good fridge magnet, you know, if you get a bad fridge magnet, it won't hold up paper but if you get one that's really good it probably has one of these rare earth metals in it so you get a couple of those and you can do some really fun stuff so one is um you put one on the bottom of a coaster and you tape another one to a bottom of the cup so when you bring them together the cup won't fit on the coaster <laughs> so you have to be careful about we we be uh, yeah each prank comes with a warning <laughs> and a lot of the uh, required materials include a towel and and you're responsible for, for cleaning up afterward. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of fun stuff you can you can do with a magnet. So if you if you pick up the book, uh, grab yourself a magnet. There's a lot of a lot of good pranks in there around the use of uh, of magnets that, that go beyond the vinegar and baking soda volcanoes that we all have made. <laughs> right, right. So right. you've also turned your your attention, uh, I think pretty recently to us grownups with a title called Where Did the Universe Come From? and Other Cosmic Questions. And you have a, a co-author on this. Tell, tell me about it. Well, this book, the, so the co-author is Geraint Lewis, and he's a cosmologist. So he looks at the, you know, the big stuff in the universe, uh, the expansion of the universe, things like dark energy, the stuff that we you know, we, we know is there, but we can't, we don't yet have an explanation for, he looks at this bit, really big picture stuff. And as a quantum physicist, I look at the, you know, the really small stuff, microscopic, beyond microscopic stuff. We, we, we can't see um, even with, 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 with our, with our microscope. So we can't see with our eyes. Uh, and often these two things are, you know, are told with different stories and it gives the perception that there's like two branches of physics and they, you know, they're just two separate things. Um, but really our, our understanding of the universe is based on the marriage of, of these, these two big concepts in physics. So things like the big bang, which, you know, everyone's heard about um, whether it's uh, watching documentaries or popular TV shows, uh, that idea uh, wouldn't have happened if we didn't have quantum physics and um, cosmology, which is you know based on Einstein's theory of relativity. So the the book is goes through the 
uh, you know, the history of the universe and how we understand all of these things about the universe as a sort of combination of, of cosmology and, and quantum physics. And for a lot of us, when we start reading about things like this, and I've gotten into the book some so far, um, wrapping your head, I guess that's a phrase you hear a lot, wrapping your head around some of these concepts isn't so easy to, when, you, when you start talking about quantum physics, is it? Yeah, it, it, it takes time. I mean, Grant um, and I, he's a bit older than me, but um, let's say me, I, I spent 15 years, you know, 10 hours a day for 15 years. I mean, if you spend that much time on anything, right? I look at what my, my mechanic does and I, it boggles my mind. How, how did you know how to do that, right? And it's because of practice, right? So if you're good at something, it's, it's because you practiced it. Um, you know, sports athletes, you know, look at them, they practice all day, all night, and that's why they're good at it. But I don't, I don't want to, you know, the, I mean, sports and, and say music are great examples where the people that are performing it obviously spent a lot of time. And if you want to do that, then you have to put in the time and practice. But at the same time, there's a whole audience, you know, there's an auditorium full of people that can appreciate what they do. And I think that's the big problem, especially with quantum physics, is like we don't have that anything to show the audience. We have these people, they sit behind, um, you know, in, in offices typically now with, with glass walls and a whiteboard, and it's not a good show. <laughs> we don't put on a good show. So we need, we, uh, writing these books is in some sense my way of trying to find out how people can appreciate it on the same level that people appreciate music or um or sports or, or say even you know um you know tasting tasting wine <laughs> i don't know if you're a wine or a, a aficionado then you you watch people taste wine and then you taste it yourself and you say what what are the, the heck are they talking about <laughs> I, don't, I don't get all this stuff um so but you know there's a level of, of appreciation you can have for all of these things and and that's what we want to bring to science that that the idea that you can appreciate it without having to spend the 15 years studying it. And you do such a wonderful job in, in making it uh, approachable and not intimidating for people and helping us all to, to, to try to understand things a little bit better. And in the, in the end, why do you feel it's so important for the, the general population and not just the physicists like you to, to have at least some kind of basic understanding of this? I think for me, I, I, when I look at my understanding of, of science and, and all the sort of training and, and, and practice that I put into it, I, I really feel lucky when I look around at the world and I see just how complicated and complex it is. And nowadays with so, so much information that's being presented to us and my training in, you know, taking complex problems and simplifying them and, and trying to find a way to work with them allows me to just navigate this complex world that we live in. And I think that's one of the most important things I think parents and, and young people need to understand is that as complex and complicated as the world seems, um, there are ways to, to deal with it. And, and that is, you know, that there's, people have figured this out and it, it's, you know, it's science and engineering. 
Um, and that's how, that's how they deal with, that's how they can deal with all of this complexity. So, you know, you, the more time you spend with it, the, the better, the better you get at it. You know, every little bit counts. So it's not like you have to put in 15 years and then there's, you know, there's like this, you know, aha moment, you get your degree and then you can, can, can do it. You know, every, every little bit helps. So I think for me, that's the most important reason that, um, that people need to understand that in this, in this age of information, that, that there, there is a way we figured out a way to tell truth from, from untruth. And it's, you know, it's science. And one of the things that you ask here is what is left for humans to discover? And I guess <laughs> my answer would be, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what's left for us to discover. But what, what, do you, what is, how would you answer that? Well, I mean, I, I like your answer. Yeah, your answer is, is great. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a great quote. Um, I think it's from John, John Wheeler, a famous American physicist. And he said that uh, and he, he likened our understanding to an island, right? And uh, island is our, is our knowledge and there's a shore of ignorance. And as we learn more and more, we grow the island, but that means the shore grows as well. So what we see that we don't know grows as our knowledge grows, but also there's just this vast ocean <laughs> that, that in some sense we'll never know. So there's, there's every time, you know, we come up with a discovery that opens, you know, 10, 15 <laughs> dozens of more, more questions. And, and so we know that there are things out there that we have yet to understand. Famous ones now are dark matter and dark energy. But beyond that, again, we don't know. You know, once we figure those out, there'll be more questions. It's unending, right? Um, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, people love exploring. So, you know, that you a lot of our stories are about, you know, ancient explorers, and it was very, it's very easy to, um, to you know, to visualize, right? We had a map, and there was an empty part of the map. And so somebody goes to that empty part of the map and says, oh, there's, a, there's an island there and I've, I've discovered it and, um, and I'm an explorer. <laughs> and it, it seems like now we've got every inch of the globe mapped out so you can't be an explorer anymore, but that's not true, right? Um, the, the exploration was always in, in, in revealing where our ignorance lies. And so uh, you can be an explorer you know, you can, you can, you can be an explorer and you'll be an intellectual explorer and the, the tools you need to do that, um, um, you know, are science and critical thinking and, and, and abstraction and a bit of mathematics and yeah. Terrific. What's next for you on the, on the book front or other fronts? Yeah. Oh, you know, always writing books. Um, you know, it's, it's still sort of a hobby that I do in my spare time. Uh, my my primary job is as a as a professor at at UTS, and I have a research group, and so you know that's always what you know what I've been passionate about is is research. So that'll occupy most of my time, you know. And I like I like teaching. I like training young people. I like you know seeing those aha moments. So yeah, we'll just keep going at 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 the pace we're going, and <laughs> see we'll take what we'll take what comes. Terrific. The website is csferry.com, 
csferie.com. Chris, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks a lot, Fred. Now this. It takes a lot of listening to build a better radio, and that's just what the folks at Sea Crane have done. Bob Crane and his crew, nestled among the rivers and tallest trees in the world in Fortuna, California, have made a habit of listening to their customers. And that's just what they've done in building the CC Skywave SSB, the Swiss Army knife of portable radios. For everyday listening to AM or FM in the yard or patio or on the nightstand, without having to drain a mobile phone battery, it's a great companion. But it is also a companion equipped for NOAA weather information and alerts that can be life-saving. You can listen to FEMA and Coast Guard transmissions, too. Beyond all of that, you can tune into shortwave signals from around the world. It's compact, easy to take with you, and built to last. The CC SkyWave SSB. Click on the link at textination.com.